All right, I got some good news for you. I really do. They told me, now I don't know this for sure. I believe it is on record. I haven't checked. They told me that on Friday night, I preached for over two hours. The good news is that it's possible that there's a chance that I got it out of my system. <laughs> and that you may get out a little early today. But I think it was the first couple of times they had ever been to this church to make such a suggestion as that. <laughs> All right, turn in your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 2. All jokes aside, I do believe that we will have a, a semi-shortened sermon today because I'm finishing up with chapter 2. And I really don't think that I'll have time to do justice to the first, the very end of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. Basically, I'm finishing my sermon from last week. And God is on time. And God no, does know what he's doing because I don't generally line my sermons up with national holi holidays. Even though I do really appreciate Father's Day. And I really appreciate Mother's Day. If God lines it up like that, I'll try to be obedient. But I just have this thing about determining what I preach based on what holiday it is according to the American calendar. Does that make sense to you? Um, you know, a lot of the times it does fall that way, and, you know, I praise God for that. But I try not to, to do that. Now, if I feel like God wants me to do that, I will. But it just so happens, and you can, you can take me at my word or you can remember from last week, it just so happens that today in Malachi chapter 2, uh, we will be talking about godly fathers and godly parents, and we will be talking about children. And it's uh, highlighted in the text, and it's something that is very, very important to God. And it's something that I want to share with you today, and I want to talk to you about. And I want to challenge you some, and I want to encourage you, and I want to uh, praise you to, certain, to a certain degree as well. Because I... Uh, let me let me show you this first. Amber, put that statistic up. Now, this come out from Lifeway, and this is a this is a study done to show the different holidays, the American holidays, and the different days that are attended and how there are how they are attended um, throughout the year. So you can see Easter is up there, uh, and these are days selected as one of the three highest attendance days. At church, so Easter is usually always the the most attended service, followed by Christmas and then Mother's Day, uh, followed right there, pretty close behind it. It drops off significantly after that. If you have a homecoming of the church, which is like a birthday of the church, then it's uh, about sixteen percent. Uh, Friend Day, fourteen. Fourth of July and Father's Day are all the way down here. You can barely see a little sliver. It's 4% that people would say that Father's Day is a significant day that they would say, oh, yeah, we're going to make sure we're in church on Father's Day. That only 4% of the people would even consider Father's Day of a, of a, uh, is a day that would be of abnormal church attendance. Does that make sense? Now, 
a couple of things that come to mind here. This is, this is just one study done from Lifeway, and, and it may reveal a few things, but a couple of things is, why is it that certain days of the year would be, in, uh, ideally speaking, would be attended better than other days of the year? If we're believers, shouldn't we just be gathering with other believers? It's sad that, you know, there is a huge influx of people on Easter and on Christmas. And we do make jokes about that sometimes. You know, you have the Easter people and the Christmas people, and those are literally the only times you see them in the year. And I, Mother's Day was one that I didn't really, I didn't really put together like that until we had several years in the church here at the well or whether it be at the school I didn't realize Mother's Day is a is a huge service for attendance as a matter of fact we've had a couple of Mother's Days that overshadowed even Easter and Christmas I think our most attended service ever when we've when we've kept any type of records was a Mother's Day if I'm not mistaken and that's interesting that's interesting I think you know you could do some study on that to see why that is but here is the reality that father and we are a little bit down today but i i you know I, there was a couple of different ways i was thinking about this should i come at people with this statistic should i how should i do this i don't want to come at even though we are down today and, and i'm missing a couple of key figures that i'm looking for and they're not here you know things come up some people are out of town we've even got two elders who are out of town so what i wanted to say was this is that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the fathers who are in this room. I'm thankful that in that graphic, in that, in that table, that you are of the 4%. Because that's rare. I'm thankful that I had men of God in my life who weren't even my biological father that would step into the picture and say, let me show you what it's like to be a man. Let me take my time away from my biological family and let me pour into you so that you might know what it's like to be a man. You see, I think that we could slap some people around with this, and some people need to be slapped around with that type of stuff. Sometimes I need to be slapped around with that. But every now and then, I think it's worthy a worthy cause to say praise God for you men praise God that you are not out there because I, I'm convinced that where the where the father goes where the husband goes so goes the family so goes the world and there's all kind of statistics to show that when a father you know commits to the church almost his entire family almost every time comes with him the, st the stats drop off dramatically when the mother's the one trying to lead the charge to go to church. Before I move into the text, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for being there. I want to encourage you to stay there. I want to encourage you to be in the Word of God, to be the man of God that God is calling you to be, that your children and your wife desperately need for you to be. And mommies out there, wives out there, if you've got a man who loves the Lord, and he's putting forth the effort. Yeah, he's not perfect. Yeah, he's got his issues. We all know that. None of us are perfect. But if you've got a husband, if you've got a daddy to your children that is fighting, that is pushing, that is loving you and loving them and, and seeking to, don't hinder him. 
praise him. Find a way to show him respect. Don't be a pushover, no. But find a way to let him know you love him. Find a, find a way to let him know that you appreciate him. Because I'll tell you, there's other ladies sitting out there that they don't have anybody in their life, and they wish that they had the man that you had. And they, or they've got somebody in their life, and he's a horrible, horrible human being. And he's abusive, and he is... He, he gambles away all their money or he smokes it up or he drinks it up and they wish that they had what you had and they're praying that their husband, that their boyfriend, that their baby's daddy was half the man that you have at home that you keep complaining about. So I encourage you, I implore you, find a way to build him up. I promise you to do more than being so ungrateful so often at the time. So that's coming from me about the probably the least compassionate person you'll meet. I'm trying to work on that. But today, I want to say, praise God for you, and good for you. Good for you that you're here. Good for you that you're here, and you're fighting. And you could have said, well, today's my day. We're going to take the day off. I'm going to rest today. All right? You always making me go to church. Today's Father's This is Father's Day weekend. We're going to do what I want to do, and we're going to chill. We're going to go to the lake. We're going to go fishing. We're going to sleep in, whatever right you chose to come here and if you wanted you could have chose to go elsewhere and they would have followed you because the family will almost always follow okay so praise god that you're here now with that being said let's get into the text and let's look at um what god desires the one god what is he seeking what is the one god seeking let's all stand to our feet for the reading and hearing of god's word i've already covered a little bit of this but i'm going to read it and then we're going to touch on where I left off last time. We'll cover a little bit of ground twice, but with a little bit of a different emph uh, uh, emphasis. Starting in verse um, 13. Malachi chapter 2. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And, was, uh, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. And we talked about an alternate, alternate translation. It's actually a variant in the text in verse 15, uh, 16 that in the ESV reads, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, uh, the variant there is, for God hates divorce, which all the commentators I've read, and when I look at the original language, I'm not super good in Hebrew, but when I look at some of my helps and things like that, it seems that as if the better translation of that verse is that God hates divorce and will cover the person in violence that divorces the wife of his youth. That it's, in other words, it's hard to come back from uh, breaking that covenant in that way because God hates the breaking of a covenant, which is what divorce is. If we understand what marriage is, then we can understand what divorce is. Our problem is in our culture, and I don't spend a lot of time on this, in our culture, in our civilization, in our society, 
divorce is nothing more than I got sick of this one, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop being with them and I'm going to start being with someone else. Um, divorce in our country is nothing. It's nothing. Marriage is nothing in our culture. It is a, it's an agreement. It's a contract between two people, and as long as I'm happy, I'll stay, but as soon as I get upset, then I'm gone. And even the best intended ones, even in the church, and we try our best to do uh, premarital, pre, premarital counseling, and, and we, do, uh, we go through all of the different scriptures and, and realities, and people, yeah, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I understand, I understand. And they do their vows, but they, they really mean nothing. And, and we see that play themselves out. My desire was when I became a pastor and, and a in a teaching pastor at this church, and I started doing weddings, my desire was that I would never do a wedding that would fail. Now, that's outside of my control, obviously, but I wanted to do everything I could at least to do premarital counseling and to, to you know, study them and to see, but everybody's always talking good on the front end, but you can never judge somebody's heart. You can never tell if, if somebody's the real deal, if they really mean what they say if, or if they don't mean what they say and they're just mani manipulating the situation to get what they want or maybe they're well-intended on the front end but they're really not committed you know, on the deep end. Does that make sense? Well, God's view of marriage is that it's actually covenantal and covenantal is without, um, is without um, what am I, word I'm looking for? It's a contract. Stipulations. A covenant is a vow or a promise or a guarantee made without stipulations. Okay, this is the difference between a covenant and a contract. Give me two more minutes here. When we make a covenant, the, the way that marriage is laid out in the Scripture is it's to be covenantal like God covenanted with us through Jesus Christ. So when God covenants with us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a it, it is a a covenant that is without stipulation once we enter into that now the grand scheme of the thing has a stipulation what is that that you would believe once you have faith it's entering into the covenant that's the only stipulation and we understand that even that stipulation is provided to us by who by God we understand that through Ephesians chapter 2 that that salvation is by grace through faith, and that's not even of yourself, but it's a gift of God, lest any of you should be able to boast. Even the faith that you have, the one pre-existing stipulation to get you into the covenant with God was provided to you by God, who's the sustainer of the covenant as well. So everything about your relationship with God is solely dependent on God, who loves you, and is not dependent on the things that you do for him in order to maintain that love. It's a true altruistic, non, um, uh, it's a non-manipulative, you don't have to pay for it. It was paid for you. It's just to you. And that's why he'll never leave you or forsake you because you didn't do anything to get in. And so, therefore, there's nothing that you can undo to get out. There's nothing that you can do to get out. He just loves you. He knew everything about you. He paid the price for you. He bought you in full, already knowing all the flaws, all the failures, and he bought it anyway. So there's nothing you could do to earn to get in. There's nothing you can do to get out. This is the formula for marriage. Now, does that sound like an American marriage to you? 
So when I married my wife, if I'm marrying her in a biblical way, I say, I'm marrying you and I'm devoting myself to you in your entirety, in your being, knowing that you are a flawed human being. I am loving you based on the love that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has loved me. I give to you. And the commitment that they have to me, I have to you. Therefore, if it is true that there's nothing that I can do to make God break his covenant with me, there's nothing you can do or not do to make me break my covenant with you. This is covenant. Whereas contract is as long as you look the way you do, make the money that you do, act the way you do, talk the way that you do, keep the house the way that you do, and, and you know, if you keep doing this, we're good. We're golden. But the moment you start to, to let yourself go, the, the moment you lose your job, the moment you don't pay me the same amount of attention, I'm out the door. I'm, I'll see you later. Because whatever you can do for me, that's what will keep me around. You see how selfish that is. That's contract. Moving beyond that, we see that this breaking of the contract is what breaks, God, breaks God's heart, and he hates it. That's why God hates divorce, because a breaking of the contract between two individuals who have entered into covenant together is a stain on his covenant that he has with his church, which is the big picture of the little picture. So when we divorce one another, we are blaspheming God's name we are belittling God's covenant we're belittling the way that God created it to be from the very beginning and so God hates this he's he speaks of it as being violent covered in violence that he hates it that it's despicable that he will pay back for it and everywhere that divorce is there's pain there's destruction there's sorrow can I get an amen whether you've been through a divorce and it was nasty and you hated it and you regretted it and you're on the healing end of it and you're trying to do it right this way, we can still look back and acknowledge, yes, divorce is tragic. It's destructive. It's painful. It's brutal. It's bloody every single time. Well, what this was one of their main sins. Remember we talked about last week that divorce and idolatry were the two main sins. We see the same sins pointed out in Jeremiah 2.13. We see them pointed out all over the scripture. That this is the sins that was committed by the people. Divorce or faithlessness and idolatry or getting your fulfillment somewhere else. Compromise. Okay. Well, he's speaking directly now to the individuals who are doing these things. What does he say? He says, and the, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, and the Lord's, uh, I'm sorry, and, the, and groaning because he no longer regards the offering uh, or accepts it with favor from your hand. Uh, but you say, why does he not? Now, here's the picture. He's going to take the nation and the way that they're interacting with him and the divorce that they've committed against him and the compromise, and he's going to apply that to the family and show them this is what it looks like, and this is what you're screaming about, but this is why it's happening. So you may think that, well, I go to church, I pay my tithe, I show up on Sunday. Why is it that it feels like God is not blessing my, my life? Why does it feel as if I'm far away from God when you have acknowledged, the God, when you have acknowledged God? Now stick with me right here. I want, I want to show you something here. When you, you say, why does it feel as if God is not blessing me in my life because I'm honoring him in the visible things? But the problem is, is that you've dishonored him in the invisible things. 
You are loving him with your lips and with your attendance, but you are dishonoring him with the way you train your children and love your wife. And you can't figure out why God is not giving you peace, why he's not giving you life. You say, I'm showing up. I'm giving my money. I'm, I'm doing these things. I'm volunteering at the church. But behind closed doors, you love video games more than you love the word of God. Or you love looking at porn more than you do honoring your wife. And you can't figure out why there's no peace in your life. You can't figure out why it is that you feel lonely or broken or you can't get along with your wife. And here it is that God is saying, he's saying, <clears throat> there, see, and why I say the visible things is that when they came to the temple, when they came here in the, in the sanctuary, what were they doing? Oh, man, if you were in there with them, you're looking at these guys going, wow, how spiritual. You know, it was one of the, I think it was Tommy was talking about Turner uh, Thursday night when he preached. He said, how many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all these things in your name? Those same people are these same people. When you would look at them from the outside in, you'd say, oh, my goodness, I ain't never cast out no demon. Man, I ain't never done nothing like that. But look how spiritual these people are. And then they stand before God, and God says, Jesus says, I ain't never known you. I don't, you were doing all that stuff, yeah, but I've never known you. You see, they were, they, were make, they were putting on the show. It looked really good. They were fooling the masses, maybe. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were doing everything by the book, supposedly. But then it says, uh, I, he no longer regards them. It was worthless. As a matter of fact, not only does he not pay attention to it, but it was a stench in his nose. And he's already said, I hate this. And I'm going to throw poop on your face because this is what, you, this is what you're doing. Because you're bringing horrible sacrifices. And I'm going to show everybody. As a matter of fact, that's what he's saying. He's like, you are hiding your unrighteousness with these deeds that you're doing. And I'm going to rub your unrighteousness right there on your face so that when you go out there, everybody will know just exactly who you are. I'm going to prove you to be who you are, the fake that you are, the manipulator that you are. I'm going to let them see what I see, and your offerings are disgusting to me. Well, they didn't get it. They were like, wait a minute, what? I'm doing all the right things. They, the, but it says, but you say, why does he not? In, in other words, why, why does he why doesn't he regard? We're doing all this stuff. We're bringing it. Why doesn't he regard it? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because God was there the day that you made your covenant. Now, it might seem that right now I'm talking about husbands and wives, and, and I am. But the bottom line is, is that because you've been unfaithful in the ways that God knew that you committed to be faithful, Marriage is one of the most important, if not the most important covenants on earth that we could possibly make between two individuals. They say, why do you not regard it? He says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He says, I was there. You see, in, in our day and age, we think that you know, we go and we say a few words before some judge or some preacher somewhere, and, you know, we get this piece of paper that says that, you know, we're married. Like, like the state is the final authority in who is married. The state can recognize. Let me say this. I'll say this publicly. 
It's fine. The state can recognize a marriage if they want to, but let me say unto you today that the state does not define a marriage. The state has no right to define a marriage to say who is or who is not married. That is a covenant between God and those who are vowing and covenanting together in marriage. And God is the one who defines what marriage is and how people should get married. And it is God who upholds that covenant, not some piece of paper by some governing official that doesn't even love the Lord anyway. Should we go along with these state things? That's fine if you want to do that. But you need to understand that the state has no business defining what marriage is. That is what God does, and God alone can do that. Well, here God says, I'm the one that's the witness between you. I saw the covenant that you made. And you might think that you can just slide out of this, but it's not that easy. I'm the one that sees. I'm the one. And he goes on to say this. And we talked a good bit last week about the wife of your youth and about drinking from your own well. And so I won't talk so much about the husband and the wife today. We talked about that a lot last week. Plus, my wife's here today. <laughs> Uh, but in all seriousness, I want to talk to you about the children. I want to, it's Father's Day. This is in the text. I had it in my notes from last week. Uh, I, I just wrote it right in my Bible. I want to share it with you today, okay? Let's, let's move down to verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Holy Spirit in their union? We talked about that last week with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We talked about how the, it's, that the sexual act, the intimate act between a, a man and a woman is more than just physical. It's spiritual, and it is made that way by God. But watch what he his, says here. He says, now listen, I can't hear your prayers, and you disgust me because you're in here with these great lamentations and weeping and displays of supposed godliness. But the truth of the matter is, behind the scenes, when nobody's looking, you're faithless to your wife, you're faithless to the wife of your youth, even though she's your companion and she's your partner by covenant. Even though you've covenanted together with her, you are faithless to her, you are, abuseful, you are abusing her, and you are not fulfilling your obligations, you are not fulfilling the covenant to her, and he's saying, just like you're not fulfilling it with me. And I see that. So when you're faithless to your wife, you're faithless to me. Because to love God is to love your wife. To love God is to love your neighbor. To love God is to love your brother and your sister. So when you're faithless to them, you're being faithless to me. We think that a church attendance, that the right things, that the right words pleases God. But that's not how it works. True theology may start in the head, uh, be manifest in the heart, but it comes out through the hands. And what you say you believe, if it does not accord with what you put your hands to the plow and do, then you're nothing but a liar and a hypocrite. And the Bible says it this way, uh, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The one that says that he knows him but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we know that a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. So that this, this husband that's being faithless to the wife of his youth, that's being faithless and an adulterer, abusive, he can't come before God and offer good and right sacrifices, and he can't please the Lord. Why? Because he is saying one thing but doing another behind closed doors. He's a hypocrite of hypocrites. But watch what, happen at, watch what happens as a result 
of this divorce, of this faithlessness. He says, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. We'll spend the rest of our time in this area. What is godly offspring? And then follow up with this. How do we produce godly offspring? Okay? So, I got about... I want to be done in about 15 minutes, and I think we can do that. Turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I really do believe I can. Don't laugh at me. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Okay, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. I want you to watch this. Now, fathers, pay attention to me, because it is not as if Mothers do not have influence on their children. We all know that's the case. We all know that's the case from the Bible, the Scripture. We know that from Proverbs 31. We know that from Titus. We know that from Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. We know that. Today I want to address fathers and the absolute imperative that we have for fathers to be godly fathers and how important it is for fathers to be uh, godly fathers, not just for them, not just for their children, not just for their wife, but for themselves. Look at Psalm 127. It says, "Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go uh, late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep." Verse three. Behold. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. A couple of things I want to show you here is that uh, it is a blessing to have children uh, in the Lord. It says here that, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, the first part of this psalm and the second part of this psalm may seem disconnected, but I don't think that it is, especially when you look at the last verse or the last part of verse 5 where it says, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And the gate is known in the Old Testament to be that central place or that place of focus in the Old Testament in the city that would have been a place of entry and a place of exit. It would have been the place where warriors would try to enter in order to uh, go to war with you. It would have been the main entryway that you would do business in. It would, been, it would have been this, this uh, focal point of a good and abundant life or a hard and uh, reluctant battle. It was the focal point of the city. It would have been a large entryway that would have been set apart. It would have been guarded, and it would have been attacked pretty often. And so the Bible says that unless the Lord builds a house, in the first part of that psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to late, re go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. 
Here's what he's saying. And then he goes into talking about how children are a heritage and the, uh, they are arrows in the hand of a warrior. That the man who fills his quiver full of them, what? Children who are one of, let me say this, in the scripture you might be able to uh, read text in such a way that you could get maybe 10 to 12 offensive weapons from the scripture. And that's only if you count things like prayer, um, things like um, uh, encouragement, rebuke, you know, some of these things that I would actively do in order to go on the offensive. Okay, but I think some of that's a little bit of a stretch. As far as like actual weaponry, imagery that is found in the scripture, uh, to my knowledge, there's only about two weapons that we have. Three if you want to use words because Paul does say, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that we... Uh, that we don't have weapons of, like this world has. Our, our weapons are spiritual. He goes on to say, we take thought captives and we, we, uh, we make them our slave and we make them obedient to Christ. And he's speaking of this with words of wisdom. So that, but I think that could be lumped in with one of the two actual offensive weapons. One is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword. So we know that a sword is an offensive weapon. You're going to go on to the offensive with the sword. The second is children. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Sending out children. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now, there, there are more, and we can do that, but I do know that children and the Word of God, the Word of God and children are two of the most explicitly outlined offensive weapons that men of God, that families can actually employ and actually have. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about defending a city. And he says, unless the Lord defends a city, it's in vain that the guy stays up all night watching and waiting. The watchman stays up all night in vain. Unless the Lord protects the city, then he's wasting his time. Unless the Lord protects the city, then you can do everything that you want to do, and it doesn't matter because the city's going to fall. And then he goes directly from that into this text where he says, Now, children are a heritage. That's a blessing from the Lord. Children are arrows in the hand of a warrior. You see that if you... Uh, if the Lord's not over the city, the, city the, the watchmen, they're just sitting there. It's all vanity because the enemy's going to be on them before they know it. But the contrast here is, is that but one who is a mighty warrior and who has children, then the Lord uses those children, and children are arrows in the hand. And what do arrows do when, it, when they're employed to guard the city from the gates? They hit people a long way out. You see, the enemy never makes it to your city if you're... If you're if your children are chained up, trained up, if you've got sharp arrows chained up, if your children are trained up, then your, your enemies never make it to your house. You say, what's the connection? I'm not seeing it. Let's, let's, let's look at this. In Malachi chapter 2, the Lord is very frustrated and very upset because the city has been infiltrated. The city of God, the sanctuary has been infiltrated. Lame sacrifices, divorce, bad theology. All of these things has become an abomination to the Lord because they've infiltrated the church, the meeting, the gathering, the ecclesia, the assembly, the congregation. The holy place has been defamed. 
And then he goes into this place, what was the one God seeking? You remember in the first part of the uh, chapter 2, when we looked at Malachi, remember what he was saying? He said, my name will be great among the nation. What, what about when he first started laying out the problem that he had? He said, here's a problem that I have, is that you have divorced me and you started intermarrying with other uh, cities, with other uh, peoples, and you have started to worship their gods. What Doing what? Bringing in these false gods, bringing in these false ideas, and you're worshiping these false gods and idolatry, and you're sacrificing your children and your sons and your daughters, and the blood flows in the streets. And then he says, I was just, I, what I was longing for, what was the one God seeking, that's the text, godly offspring. I take you to Psalm 127 to show you why I think that is. It's because when we are training our children, it does a couple of different things. Now watch. When we are training our children in the ways of the Lord, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he won't depart from it. What does that mean? What does that mean in a historical context in the Old Testament, in the cities of, of Jerusalem, in the, city, in, in, in the tribe of Judah, in Israel? What did that mean? Train up your child in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he won't depart from it. You know what it mean? You know what it meant? One thing primarily is this, is that you'll have people to work the fields, and you won't starve to death. It meant this. You'll have men to guard the gate, and you won't die. It meant this. You'll have priests to man the altars so that no one brings a false sacrifice. It meant this. You'll have people who can keep the incense burning so that the Lord hears the cries of the saints. It meant this. You'll have men of God who can keep the menorah well oiled in the oil in the lamps. You'll, they'll keep the menorah burning so that we know that God is there and we can see. It meant this, that you would have men who could make the sacrifices. It meant this, you would have men that would keep the walls uh, that Nehemiah was building and Ezra was building the spiritual walls, so that you would have men of God and women that would come along and who would protect the city gates. How short-sighted are we? You see the connection? You see the connection? God says, unless I guard the city, the city will fall. He says, children. Children are where it's at. Children are where it's at. Now, what's the solution? Have I shown you that children's where it's at? What's the solution? The solution is this. Is that you have to be what God has called you to be if you ever want a chance at leading your children to where they need to be. And how do we do that? We hit on this a little bit last week, and I'll finish here. Ezekiel says, I've got five minutes. Watch this. Listen. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Two things. Spirit and truth. You cannot pour out what you're not drinking in. You cannot give what you don't have. You cannot train up your children in the way that they should go if you're not in that place leading them to that place. If you want 
to build the kingdom of God, if you want to protect your house, then we must guard ourselves in our spirits. Men of God, we must do business with God. We've got to get in the Word of God. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to be on our face. We've got to be submitted to good leadership, elders, and, and people who can disciple you in the Word of God. I have to do that. You have to do that. We have to get other men around us that will hold us accountable. We have to love our wives. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands, and you need to be praying for him. He's got a million people coming after him wanting a million different things, and a bunch of them are on his phone right there, and they're trying to steal his attention away. We need to rise up and understand the call and the need that we have in this nation and in our homes, in our churches, to train up our children in the way that they should go, that when they're old they won't depart from it. That's how we're going to protect this city. And as we all stand to our feet, I'll tell you this. None of us will do that outside the person and work of Jesus Christ. For those of you who know Jesus, you understand just where Jesus has brought you from and where he's taking you to. You have the capacity to lay down your life, not because you're that smart or you're that strong, but because Christ has done a work in you. Galatians 5.16 says that, that, but if you walk according to the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. When the Spirit is filled up full in you, then there's no room for the fleshly. When you set aside the things of the world and you press into God and you love God and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then the sky's the limit. Josh, Shane, man... Tyler, you guys, you guys can lead to places you never even understood that you could possibly lead. Charlie, you could, you could love on your wife. You could love on your children to leave a legacy. We've, we've lost the idea of legacy. We just want to make a few dollars, go home, chill out, and be left alone. Man, I've done that. I do that. I get exhausted sometimes. And that's why I need to press into God and keep pressing forward, keep pressing forward, keep pressing forward. Because I want my sons to be better men than I am. I want them to be powerful men of God that the, that the enemy has to reckon with. I want them to be mighty warriors. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've trained my children in such a way that some young lady somewhere one day when she gets one of mine, she'll have hit a gold mine. Not because they're good looking. They are good looking. <laughs> Not because they'll be successful. I've trained them. They know how to work, and I'm training them how to work. I have no doubt they'll be successful. Not because of any of that, but because they'll be so dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ that when those boys right there say, I do, can't nobody say, no, you won't. For what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I'm done preaching, bro. You can put that down. I'm, I'm just talking now. <laughs> Fathers, do you have that same tenacity? Do you have that same drive? Do you have that same will to be pouring into your children Christ every day? To guard yourselves because you don't want somebody coming after them. And this circle of life right here, this great big circle, it's going to come back around. Because as you guarding them right now, let a man come at my kids. He better be bad, right? Because I got a knife on me, right? You let somebody come after me, I'm going to protect my kids. But you know what's going to be the truth? One day they're going to have to be cleaning up after me. One day they're going to have to be taken up from me. One day, and if I've trained them right, and if I've shown them the way, then it won't be nothing but a thing. 
because they've already seen all this before. Will, can you honestly say that some woman's going to be one day, some girl, some young lady's going to be very, very lucky and very blessed to say that she found your son or the other way around? I'm training my, my daughter's going to be. She's going to be a handful to somebody, but we working on it, okay? We working on it. We pray in the Holy Spirit is going to do a work, okay? She might be a missionary. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. I love you, men. You have no idea how crucial your role is. I love you, mommies, too. Just wasn't your day today. If you've got a good daddy, then you call him and you tell him if he's here, you hug his neck. If you've got a husband who's a good daddy, honor that man today. It's okay to honor people. It's okay to make a big deal out of somebody. The Bible says that we are to honor one another. You know? And if you've got a, a, a husband who loves the Lord and he's a hard worker, let him know that. You're not, you're not, you know, you're not weakening yourself by doing that. Honor him. Let him know you love him. And I love you. Press into Jesus Christ. The penalty he paid on the cross bought you so that you can be who he's called you to be. I love you guys. Let's respond. We'll have a song. We'll get out of here. Do business with God. If you're in a spot where you have not been the father that you need to be, then repent today. It's okay. His blessings are new every morning. We'll come alongside of you and we'll help all we can. And heck, you can help us too because we struggle too. I promise. We'll do it together. We'll fight life together. Right, Rich? We'll fight life together. All right. Come and do business with God.